All right. So we're, we're doing this series on our identity. And last week we, we learned that as a Christian that you and I are a masterpiece of God. We are his masterpiece. And today we're talking about the fact that we are God's temple. So if you are a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a temple uh, of the Holy Spirit, it says in Scripture. In fact, um, and go ahead and read the verses here um, in this little passage we're going to look at today. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Now, um, let's, just, let's just ask for God's help here during our, our time in the Word. Lord, we come to you this morning, and thank you for the, just the reminder of the need for grace, the need for help, and that we know that Apart from you, we can really do nothing. And so, God, we're, we're calling out to you right now. Just uh, we, we want to rely on you, uh, not only for our salvation in Jesus Christ, like Nick talked about, but also we would like to, we want to rely on you for everything. And really, being in a place of dependency with you, Father, we know is a place where we really need to be and where we need to be living daily. Um, because to be thinking that we, we've got this on our own is a mistake, and it's, it's prideful. We need you, Father. I also just want to pray, for Lord, for those in our, our church who are really uh, experiencing loss. I uh, think of people who have lost family members here who have died recently, and, and just those who are experiencing great heartache right now. Lord, we just pray for your grace to be poured out on them. Uh, we pray that you would provide them with the strength they need, help them through uh, the grief process if they're grieving, or just be a very present help uh, in time of need, as it says there in your word. And so, Lord, we ask and pray also that your Holy Spirit would fill us and you would be speaking to our hearts in this time, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, you know, in this passage, it talks about the believer being a dwelling place for God. And that sounds really strange to us because you're like, how can you put God in a person, right? When you read your Old Testament, you realize, well, um, God met with his people in a temple or a tabernacle, right? And when you get to the time of the temple, he met with them, or his actually I should say his presence was revealed in what they called the Holy of Holies, that innermost place. God's presence actually showed up there. And we realized, too, from reading our Old Testament, that not just anybody could go back there in the presence of God. Uh, in fact, they used to tie a rope onto the priest's ankle 
so that if something bad happened when he was in there, they could pull him out because they weren't going to go in there. They weren't, just your average person was not allowed to go into God's presence. But now, uh, as we see here, is that believers become the dwelling place of God. And it just blows my mind that God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is living inside each and every believer. If you put your faith in Christ, you actually have God dwelling in you, which just blows my mind. And that's really the first thing we, we see in this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, is this, that if I put my faith in, in Jesus, God dwells in me. He dwells in me. And there are some other scriptures that mention this uh, very explicitly, very clearly. Uh, I don't have them up here, but you might want to jot these down. Romans 8, verses 9 to 11 says this, it says, you, and and Paul's talking to believers, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And then he says, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Do you see that? He's saying either if you're a Christian and have the Spirit, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. He's just, just kind of making that very clear, very plain, right? He says, but if Christ, listen to this, verse 10, Romans chapter 8, but if Christ is in you, and did you see the little switch there? He's talking about the Spirit being in you. And then I saying, like, if Christ is in you, well, which is it? Well, he's saying the Spirit is in you, but it, in a sense, it's the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit, right? And so... Uh, it's not a contradiction. He's just simply saying, uh, you know, what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, we'll mention it later today, but in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to send another helper, another one like himself. And and uh, he's, he's going to not only be with you, but he's going to dwell in you. Well, I'll mention to you what that passage is when we get to it, but just this Idea, he says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Did you see how many times he's saying, he lives in you, he lives in you, right? And so um, that Romans 8 passage just... Um, reinforces what we just have read in 1 Corinthians. Now, let me mention this John 14 passage. John 14, verses 15 to 17 and verse 23. 15 to 17, verse 23 of John 14, he says, Jesus says this, he says, If you love me, if you love me, keep my commands. And he says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And this is, this is who this is that he's going to give. Him. He says, the spirit of truth. It's another synonym, if you will, for the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, listen, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, he's speaking future to the disciples there because they had not yet received the Spirit. 
which was poured out at Pentecost, right? He's saying, but you guys, you will, uh, the Spirit will be with you, and he'll not only be with you, but in verse 23, he says, he will be in you, okay? So just fascinating, fascinating that God, the Holy Spirit, is living in every one of us as believers, all right? And that is a fact that you need to hang on to, a truth you need to hang on to um, because you have an advocate. You have a helper, uh, as he is described, one who's going to help you live out, right, what God calls us to do. But in that passage there that we read in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. And you, you get the Spirit from God when you believe in Christ. That moment, that moment, okay, that you're God's child, you put your faith in, you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is, this is an important fact, and we need to remember it, and that's what Paul's telling us. Now, um, the reason he's making a big deal about this is, is uh, because... In this particular situation, in many of the letters that Paul wrote these churches, they addressed situations, problems. And certainly the church at Corinth had plenty of its own problems, um, as any church does. You know, you walk, you know if, you, if you think you found the perfect church, you, know, you better turn around and walk out because you're going to mess it up when you walk in. Because <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? So... But, but just realize here in the church in Corinth, though, um, that particular area at that particular time was highly sexualized. And I would say not unlike our culture today, okay? Very hyper-sexualized, you know, all kinds of perversions of sexuality and, and just kind of like... Uh, but here's the thing. They believed, this culture believed, that it really didn't matter what you did with your body. In other words, there wasn't really a connection between your body and your soul. The, the, the body was like a throwaway. It was like a, it was like a container that we just get rid of, and it was really kind of a hindrance to us anyway. And so, you know, uh, we just need to shed that body. So we don't really care about the body. That was the thinking, okay? And what really mattered was what's going on in my, my soul, okay? And how what is my... You know, it doesn't really matter what I do with the parts of my body or what I do with my body because it just, just doesn't matter. That's the way they viewed it. That was, Paul was addressing this. Uh, and you can see, I mean, we're, we're kind of dropping in the middle of the letter there, but when you read um, 1 Corinthians, he's one of the things he's calling out is sexual immorality. Uh, in, in, in fact, in chapter... Um, 12, excuse me, verse 12 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then he says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. These are in quotations. Okay, and the reason why they put those in quotations in the scriptures because those were sayings of the time. Now listen, they, they were kind of making an argument. Food is for the stomach. And we're like, duh, you know, we get that. Uh, and stomach for the food. And so they were saying kind of like, well, so then the body is for sex and sex for the body. 
And the way they related to that was then, well, it doesn't really matter because we don't believe, we, we believe it doesn't matter what I do with my body. That's just what it's for. It's for sex. So we just have sex whenever we want and with whomever we want it. That the, was the way the culture was, okay? And so, and so Paul is speaking into that. And he's saying, no, no, listen, when you become a Christian, he's saying, listen, that body is not meant for sex. He said, I mean, it's certainly sex is a gift from God, okay? And this is not a lesson on sex today. <laughs> Maybe it should be. I don't know. But, but anyway, but just to say that, he's saying, listen, this argument here that you're saying this saying, you know, uh, food for the body or food for the stomach, stuff for the food, and then, and then uh, body for sex and sex for the body. No, he's like, no, the body is for the Lord. That's his argument. The body is for the Lord. And when you become a Christian, he's saying, this is his argument. He's saying, no, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, nobody would ever think of going in and messing around with the temple when that wasn't their job. It was a holy place. It was set apart. And certainly in the holy of holies, you know, you're not coming out alive unless you're the high priest going in at the right time of the year. Okay? That's a fact. Because the holiness of God was there amongst sinful people. Right? So, so but now we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. We've been made holy because of what Christ has done, okay? God sees us through the lens of and the blood of Christ, and that is we've been right, right with God, right? And in that sense, he sees us as holy. Now, we're not perfectly holy in how we live our daily lives, like in our personal holiness, but when he sees us through the blood of Christ, he sees us as holy and acceptable in his sight, okay? So then his spirit dwells in us, so Paul's saying it does matter what you do with your body because you are a container, if you will, for the Spirit of God. And you don't go joining that container with just whomever you want and do with whatever you want with your body because it's not yours. Do you see his argument? This is, this is what, uh, again, I'm, we've only read a couple of verses in, in 1 Corinthians 6, but this is what he's addressing. He's addressing a specific problem and a specific a way of looking at life that was totally wrong. And so you need to realize that this has, this is not just a like theological fact. It has implications on your life as a believer and how you live it, right? Um, which leads us to the next thing that he says, really. So not only does that verse there um, in verse um, eight, no, 19 and 20, right? The first part of 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom God has given you? But then the next part, he says, and you are not your own. Say what? <laughs> you know, you say that to somebody now, like you're not your own, by the way. You know, your, your body doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. And that's exactly what this verse is saying. It says, you are not your own. It says at the end of verse 19. And then verse 20, it says, for you were bought with a price. He says, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's, it's no longer you. You're, you don't belong to you anymore. And this is so countercultural, it's not even funny. I mean, you just tell, you try to tell somebody it's not their body. 
right? I mean, you could talk about abortion. You could talk about all kinds of things, doing with your body. But it's not your body. As a Christian, it's not your body. It's, your body belongs to God. And what you do with it matters to him. You see what I'm saying? So there are, there are implications and responsibilities, if you will, that go with the believer because this is the truth. Our identity is that we are a, the dwelling place of God. And what we do with our body and how we live our lives matters because of this fact right here. We are not our own. And, and we have to get that settled in our mind. Okay? It's not just an idea. It's not just a nice little idea. This is the truth. Every believer has been bought with a price. Okay? And when we look at the scriptures here, take a look in 1 Peter chapter. 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's saying, you know, you were ransomed, okay? Uh, you were lost you were dead in your sin and your transgressions, like it says in Romans, right? Romans gets us good and lost before we get found. You've you, you got to realize you've got, you bring nothing to the table. You're dead in your sin. You're lost without any hope. And then, but God in his mercy sent Christ, right? He died in our place that we might have eternal life, that we might be forgiven, right? And so that the blood of Jesus, it says here, the precious blood of Jesus is what it took to purchase you, to ransom you, to buy you out of the slavery of sin, like Nick was talking about. Um, and this is, this is the concept, this is the biblical concept of ransom, right? And so this verse, knowing that you're ransomed, you know, not with some, just some cash, no, with the precious blood of Jesus, Okay. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.15 really nails it for me in terms of this concept, this scriptural truth that I am not, you know, I am not the owner of my body, nor is really my life my life now. Okay. Um, did you ever hear Paul uh, uh, writing in the, in the, is that even a thing, hearing Paul writing? Hearing. <laughs> Right, read what Paul wrote in the New Testament where he talks about how he says, I am a bond slave or a bond servant, right? So that would be my understanding of that term is that is an understanding of someone who has already served their term. They're really kind of free to go, but they have chosen to serve their master. They have chosen to stay, all right? And so um, this, this idea here, that um, I am not my own here. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, and he died, meaning Jesus, and he died for all that those who live, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You get that? In other words, Jesus died for you. If you put your faith in Christ, he died, he died for you. And you have life that was purchased for you, 
And you're no longer to live for yourself. It's not about you. That, I mean, the biggest pull in the center of my heart and universe at times, is I, 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 I just, I'm living like it's about me. Most of our problems is because we get into is because it was about us. It's about Jesus and what he wants to do with our lives. And here it says, we, we are no longer to live ourselves. This ought to be the banner over your life. Somebody asks you what you do, I live for Jesus. You know, That's at the top. Everything else is icing on the cake. I might be a pastor, I might be a teacher, I might be a bus driver, but I live for Jesus. That's what I do. In the realm that I do my life, I live for Jesus. As a Christian, that is what we do. We live for him. Okay? Now, that's not always easy, I mean, for sure. But that's what we do because we've been bought with a price. It's, it's not our life anymore. It's not our body anymore. He's calling the shots, you know. And I, I've heard the gospel expressed in different ways, uh, different analogies. And one of the analogies is, is like being in the car and you're in the driver's seat. And well, when you become a Christian, you're like sliding over and Jesus is now driving. You know, that, that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, has meaning in that context. But yes, it's he's you're saying, I want you to take this thing, my life, and I want to live it your way, okay? And that's, that's what he's saying. And this is so countercultural. It's so counter humanity, period. It doesn't even matter the culture, you know, because I, on my own, I'm so selfish. Um, I, I've said this before, marriage when I got married, I realized, man, I'm just selfish because a lot of the sparks that fly, you know, in relationships and whether it's marriage or whatever, it has to do with selfishness, right? And then when I had kids, I realized how really selfish I was. What a daggone sinner I am, you know? I just, I mean, I just, it just was like, it's just constant reminders. And so, the only way, we talk about victory in Jesus, right? The only way is, is to, to conquer that selfishness is to have the life of Christ in us, and it's going to be an ongoing, slugging it out with the, the remaining sin in our lives. You know, it's not like you receive Jesus and, and a switch is flipped, and now, man, you're just, you're just goody two-shoes of the rest of your life. You're going to do another sin. I mean, you know, that does not happen, and it will not happen. If you think it's happening, come here. I'll spit in your face, and you're going to be sinning. I guarantee it. Okay? It's going to, you are not sinless. Okay? There used to be a guy out in the Oval who would preach some kind of sinless perfection, and I'm like, there's that Ohio State. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Let me talk to your wife. She'll tell me the real story. And so just, but, but just this idea that it, it's so, we need a Savior to save us from ourselves, and we need the Spirit dwelling in us to help live this kind of life we're reading about. Right? That we would no longer live for ourselves. It's kind of like God wants you, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but as a Christian, He wants you to, just all your agendas, whatever they are, Okay, Lord, it's yours. 
You can rearrange the furniture in my life, the agenda items. Maybe they're not the proper priorities. Maybe they're not, things are totally out of alignment, but I want to do it your way. So show me, please, Lord. Now, this could be a scary prayer to pray, but it, uh, it, you know, to say, Lord, have your way. You know, you, you take this life of mine, and I want you to use it. I want you to show me where it's not in alignment, and I want to show you where it's, it's about me and not about you, and I want help to, I need your help to, to, to uh, get victory in that. And so, but we have to realize that the freedom from which you and I as believers have been bought into is not the freedom to do as we please. Did you get that? We are not free to do as we please as Christians. It's a freedom. The the freedom that Christ has purchased for is a freedom to live as Jesus instructs us to live, which is a very joyful place. Um, It's our sinful nature that thinks that maybe some of the boundaries that God has placed out there are bad for us or he's trying to withhold good from us. Wasn't that the lie of Satan? Wasn't that the lie of Satan back in the garden? He's saying, oh, you know, uh, Satan was, was telling, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, well, um, God's holding out on you, man. He doesn't want you to know everything he knows. Sold him a lie, man. Here we are. That lie is still being told and still being le- believed today, sometimes by us. That God's holding out on us. That's why he's saying, no, you can't do that. He's saying, no, this sexual boundary is here or this boundary is there. I'm, I'm picking sexual because that's the context of the Corinthian issue. But just, you know, whatever. It could be any issue, okay? So that's the thing we need to realize. This freedom that we've been given in Christ, right, is a freedom to do as Jesus tells us. And he tells us that in his word. That's where we get his instructions. So now, um, as we, this little, these few verses we're doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they kind of outline very nicely, right? We, we, we've heard the first couple of ones one, where the first one is just that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit whom God's given us, right? And then the next point was just that, well, this body is not my body. This life is not my own. Well, the conclusion of that then is what Paul says in verse 20, which basically uh, the point here is, and we'll get to the verses, that I am to bring honor to God in how I live and how I use my body. This is the conclusion of what he's saying to these guys. Well, so since you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and since you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore, or so, as he says here in this verse, so, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are to glorify God in our body. And don't just think about, like, you know, the physical use of our body, and what we do with our hands and our feet and all that, which is certainly true, but, but just even how we live our lives, right? How we live our whole lives. And so um, I'm, I probably almost in every cross-reference, you know, some of the Bibles have cross-references when you're reading, probably... On this 1 Corinthians 6.20, your Bible may have a cross-reference to this verse, which is Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, 
brothers, by the mercies of God. And Paul here is making a transition in this letter to the Romans. The first 11 chapters are all about we are so lost because we're sinners, but Christ came so that we might have eternal life. And when you receive Christ as your Savior and experience eternal life, he's saying now in this verse as he transitions to a kind of a new topic and about how to live, then he's saying, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying, you, you want to worship God? Lay it all out there. Give your whole life to Him. How you speak, how you relate to people, uh, you know, just everything. He's saying, present your bodies, in this case, your whole selves to God. In other words, God, have your way. Use me, God. Send me where you want to send me. Put me with the people you want me to be with, you know, whatever. It's like a blank check with God. You're laying it on the altar, your life. But instead of, you know, you being killed like the old sacrifice, you're living, right? You're living. Now, when we... When he talks about this kind of dedication of our lives to Christ, which I would say is, is a daily thing, this is not a once-for-all thing. This is really a daily thing, saying, God, I, I offer my life to you. I want to live for you. Um, and, but, but we say, well, you know, we've been talking about this culture in Corinth and the culture we live in, and the culture wants to tell us and make it into its image wants us to conform to what it thinks about whether it's sexuality, about finances, about uh, how we relate to each other, what marriage looks like, all these things. It wants us to take its cues from it. It wants to mold us into its image and how to think. But when I think about this, I think about square watermelons, Okay. This idea of being molded. Has anybody ever seen one of these? I mean, I've seen photos, but I've never actually seen one. Uh, this is not like something that's Photoshopped. This is real. And um, the, the, the one I read about, or the situation I read about was in Japan. They put these watermelons in these containers, these like plastic containers that are square, right? And then they grow into that and it molds them, which I would think every... Every uh, stock clerk at Kroger and Meyer would love this because it's stackable. I mean, hey, and you as a consumer, man, it's not going to roll around in your fridge, but it's actually been conformed to the shape. Uh, it's been molded to the shape of that container, right? Well, how do we as believers, if we're talking about living for the Lord and, and, and that our lives are not our own, how do we... How do we make sure that we're becoming conformed to God and what he wants and not what the world wants? Mm -hmm. Well, Paul has an answer to that in the next verse after Romans 12.1, which just happened to be Romans 12.2. <laughs> I know, that's, it's very insightful. Okay, you can write that down. You know, 12.2, it comes after 12.1. But it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. So how Paul says, well, how do you not be conformed to the world? He's saying, well, you need to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. In other words, it starts right here, how you think, what you're putting in your brain, right? And what we need to do is allow the Word of God, we need to meditate on that. And when I say meditate, I don't mean, hmm, you know, what I mean is thinking about it, how it applies, picking it apart, trying to understand it. That's what meditation is in Scripture. That's what they mean. Um, it's not some kind of a mantra type of thing. It's just really thinking. It's a concentrated thinking about the Scriptures and how, what it means and how it applies. So Paul's telling us if you don't want to be conformed to the world, right? Uh, excuse me. If you don't want to be conformed to the world, then what you need to do is be renewed in here. And the only way to be renewed in your mind is to get the Word of God in you and let it start to conform your life. Let your life conform to it. Let it mold you. Because I guarantee you, man, you are being molded either by the world or by the Word. Okay? Um, I have... I don't know, this is kind of a weird story to tell, but I have this innate ability to take on the characteristics of those I'm around very easily. I start, you know, start, you know, I don't know about you, but you can start, like, thinking the way they think if they're just spouting off. And if you don't evaluate it based on what Scripture is, you can just start, oh, that sounds, sounds right. But maybe it's not. You know, you got to measure it against the truth, right? That's the thing. So, so you know, this is, this is why, you know, we, we mention this all the time. But... If, if we are going to live out this countercultural idea and truth that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit and there are th- some things we just ain't doing because God says no. Because he says it does not honor the body that actually is mine and the life that actually is mine that I have actually purchased with the precious blood of my son. And so, um, but by the way, you know, I kind of of feel like, you know, I'm not saying it's always easy to submit to God in in His ways, but once I did settle the fact that He is good, no matter what, even if I don't understand what He's doing, that He's good. And that even if He says something, and he says, well, you can do this or you can't do that or whatever, that I trust in his goodness so that even if I don't understand it, I'm okay with it. I mean, you have to come to that resolution in your Christian life. You really do because otherwise you're going to be a mess. Uh, I mean, I'm a mess already even just without already settling it. I'm not perfect, but I'm just saying you have to say, realize that, okay, God has my best in mind his truth is the truth, and therefore, if he says it, I got to be okay with that. And that, that will help you. Um, and so, but we have to be in the Word of God. We have to spend time with Him. We have to, you got to wrestle with questions. You know, some people don't get their questions answered. Um, now, not every question really has a, an answer, probably this side of heaven, but a lot of people. There are good answers to questions that people have when they read their Bible. Like, I don't get this. I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're reading your Bible and you're trying to meditate on the Scriptures, write down your questions. 
and seek answers. Right? If you can't find, you know, and, you know, the internet's the wild west. So I'd be careful. Uh, I, I would always. That's why I think. And I mean, I do. I mean, do a lot of research on the internet. That's fine. I'm just saying, before you make your final conclusions, I think it's a good idea to process it in community. Okay. It's so one thing I really appreciated about when I took courses at Vineyard, at the VLI, Vineyard Leadership, years, Vineyard Leadership Institute, many years ago. They encouraged people to process their theology in community as they're wrestling with the Scripture. Okay, so it, that's why you should do that. Okay? Because there's some real wacko stuff, right, when you just do a search on something. Okay? So but also some good things. But you, you, you have to train your discernment, right, with the Word of God and with the community of God helping you, okay? So now, this, this, I just want to close with a prayer here. And, and let's just, you know, if you haven't done this already, let's just commit our lives to the Lord to pursue holiness with Him and, and uh, personal holiness. And, and, and we need His grace and His help, we know. But let's, let's ask the Lord to help us with that. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and, and are just asking that as Paul uh, charges us with the fact that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit and, and that our body is not our own anymore and our lives are not our own, that we should therefore then glorify God in our body. And so, Lord, if we're living in a way right now that's, you know, and, and we're treating our body or we're even living in a way that's not glorifying to you, Lord. We want to repent of that. We want to admit it to you that we're not. And we want to confess it and turn from that and say, Lord, we want to do your will. And Lord, we also just want to afresh today, like um, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 1, we want to we uh, offer, offer our bodies, our, our whole lives as a living sacrifice. We want to live for you. We want to parent in a way that is glorifying to you. We want to love others in a way that's glorifying to you. We want to um, treat our bodies in a way that's glorifying to you in acknowledgement that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the indwelling spirit who empowers us to live the life. And we thank you for the grace of Jesus, for the blood of Jesus, as it says in 1 John, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In Christ's name we pray, amen.